a podcast brought to you by Energy Live News. It's Friday. It's four o'clock. It is, of course, Short Fuse. Hope you've had a good week. Unfortunately, George and Freddie are both back in the office this week. Okay. Well, Fred, where George went and uh, decided that actually he was going to take Monday and Tuesday off, which is useful because his hangovers normally last at least four days. And Freddie was busy. Did you find ginger cows up in Scotland, Freddie? You did, didn't you? Yeah, Highland cows. They're ginger. So there you go. And we also found out that Freddie is actually a Neanderthal. Good stuff. Yeah? Cool. Genetics. It's all about that. Have a read. Shut up, George. Um, also, a big shout out to uh, Bus Landsdrop, who basically flew in specially, did a great exclusive interview. We'll have a clip of that later. He'll be speaking at our Energy Live Future Conference. Uh, hello to Kevin. Kevin Corcoran. He told me to say hello at the beginning of the show because he was feeling a bit lonely this week. Ah, wait to hear from you later, Kev. Right, moving on. Let's talk to our audience about the story of the week. And it's this one, all about blockchain. Now, you probably have heard of this word blockchain. Most people in energy probably know about it. If you're not from the energy world, it's basically a way, it's, it's the basis of Bitcoin and these cryptocurrencies. It's a way that sort of lots of computers can trade and track movements across. Frankly, I don't really understand it myself. But anyway, more importantly, the EU has said that blockchain is going to become such an important technology that they've launched a new body to explore its use. So this is the Blockchain Observatory and Forum. And what it'll do, it'll look at how blockchain will be used in areas such as energy, finance, travel. The idea is that we're able to do things much quicker. Transactions will happen much quicker and you'll be able to trade peer-to-peer -peer and also you'll be able to track what happens. Um, they'll be looking at the trends and the analysis and what they're trying to do is create a central part for the EU, while we're still in it for about another year, uh, that will track how this technology is developing and its uses, both uh, commercial and altruistic. I think this is a really interesting story this week simply because it shows you that even a bunch of dinosaurs like the EU can see this technology could be fundamentally changing the way that we do things. You know, we, I suppose our big change was computing, you know, 30, 40 years ago, and then personal computing came in, and then the iPhone, all of those things. But they're all based on very simple processes that work the way computers have worked for years. This and the idea of things like artificial intelligence working with blockchain would mean that the way we trade, the way we do business, the way we interact with each other could change. And I think the fact that EU is now seeing it as such an important thing that they're going to create this body says that really this is something that is going to affect us all. Okay, next story. Uh, this is about OVO. Now, OVO Energy, you may have heard of them. They've been around a little while. They've grown very significantly. And they probably started off being a real kind of, you know, uh, challenger to the big six. Although some would say they're, they're now part of the, you know, big seven or eight, whatever you want to call it. Um, OVO are being investigated by Ofgem. And why? Because they're looking into the way that uh, OVO has been conducting its consumption figures and to see whether that's been accurate or not. Now that really is a big deal because obviously we all get charged based on our consumption. And one of the other things that happens is that many people, uh, myself included, sometimes you get an estimated bill. Now if those estimations are built on the wrong data, 
uh, then obviously you're getting ripped off. So at present, let me say that there's no proof that OVA has breached any of this, but there is a concern from Ofgem and they're looking at it. And if they're found to have done something, then their whole uh, licensing will become uh, called into question. So in a way, it's probably an example of when you get big, things do start to happen. So when you have a small supplier and it says we're very customer friendly and et cetera, et cetera, that kind of works. But once you get to a big size, you seem to find the problems that have affected some of the big six. We'll see what happens with that. We'll, we'll keep an eye on it. And finally in this bit, whoa, give it large as George normally does every weekend. Oi, oi. Uh, a DJ called DJ Matoma. He hasn't even heard of him. So I'm assuming he's massively big. Um, he's a Norwegian DJ who's gone carbon positive. You've heard of carbon neutral. This is carbon positive. What it means is that his tour that he's on right now, he's teamed up to join the UN Climate Initiative and he's been tracking all the things that happen in his tour. So there's kind of obviously the band being transported around, the equipment, the energy they use, all the lights, all the kind of merchandising. And what he's done is he's managed to reduce all of those things and he's actually been carbon positive. So either he's got tiny audience and that's why he's carbon positive or he's actually doing some brilliant things but it does make you uh, think that actually if you think about the bands no one ever thinks about music and how big a footprint it leaves you know bands like U2, big bands, Glastonbury Festival, things like that, all the big festivals how much energy they use and we've done some stories on this but the fact that here's a guy who's actually taken it on himself as a musician to uh, watch what he's doing I think that's quite interesting. So, uh, plenty more stories. Make sure you get in touch. You can see all the details here. And uh, we'll come back to some more stuff with Johnny a bit later. But now, let's move on to this week's Viewpoint. Eon. That's what this week's Viewpoint is about. And this is a great story. I think it's a really interesting story, actually. So E.ON are going to launch in Germany and Italy a virtual battery. What does that mean? If you have solar panels and you're an E.ON customer in these countries in certain test areas, what they're planning to do is allow you to store that solar energy without a battery. This is the big problem with having renewables. You always have the power when the power is available. When the wind blows, when the sun shines, we all know that stuff. So when people have solar panels and in the summer, uh, particularly in places like Italy, even Germany gets quite a lot of sunshine in the summer, you get a lot of energy. Now, traditionally, what would you do? Well, obviously, you'd probably sell a bit back to the grid or whatever. Or ideally, if you had it, you'd have a battery, you'd store that energy and you'd use it yourself. I think most people who go and invest in solar panels are looking to be self-sufficient, to be able to actually, you know, that would be the great thing, just power my own house. Well, E.ON have caught on to this. And what they're saying is that if you're their customer, you can store the energy you make in excess. So in the summer, you use the energy from the solar panel that's running your house. You've got loads left over, right? Well, what can you do? You actually give it to E.ON. You sort of sell it to E.ON. What they do is they put it into an account, a virtual account, where they keep that energy. Now, obviously they're not. I mean, the real truth is that energy is dissipated everywhere. But what they're saying is they'll keep that energy and say you've produced, I don't know, two megawatts of excess power, right? Whatever it is. 
they will then go in the winter you can draw those two megawatts back to power your home so in essence the energy you've made in the summer you utilize in the winter and i think this is a really clever idea because it means that you don't have to purchase a battery and all the costs and all the paraphernalia that goes with that it means that individuals householders can actually do the things that they've always wanted to do to be self-power efficient and self-sufficient but still working with a power company and it also means that what you're getting is the idea that people will be able to say right i know what i'm generating i know what i can take i know what i can give and i'll be able to get it back so you feel that what you're doing is of value because there's nothing worse than saying oh, i've got my solar panels yeah, they're great in the summer, but frankly, what's the point in the winter? I'm still having to get all my power from, you know, gas or whatever. Here, you've got a chance to say, actually, what I'm using in the winter is what I produce myself in the summer. A bit like the old days of, you know, grabbing uh, grains and fruits and storing them and then you use them in the winter. So the technology is being trialled out. They call it the Eon Solar Cloud. And I think this could really become quite a popular thing because if you don't have to pay for all that infrastructure of batteries. Okay, I know technically the power is going back into the system, but the fact that you can say, hang on, I generated this power and now it's coming back to me, I think this will do really well for, for consumers in the future. Be interested to hear your views, tell us what you think, and um, you know, write to me, use the email. <sighs> it is that time. I try and hide him every week, but once more, he appears. It's the Hack Hutch. Hello. Hello. How's looking that? slightly smarter this week. I'm always looking smarter. Your dad you will be proud me. of that. Really nice. What have you been up to? Um, well, what have I been up to? Writing stories as usual. Loving it. <laughs> you know all your fun's over next week because Pre's back in the office. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Get my leash Pre, on. we need you controlling him again because he's been frankly bothering Alex, hasn't he, Alex? Yeah. There you go. So. See, instead of doing his journalism. But you have done a little bit of journalism this week. A little bit, yeah. Tell me something about it. Uh, so you'll probably remember, everyone will probably remember, Theresa Mays. Um, Who's she? Yeah, I don't know, some okay. woman that does something our government. Yes. Uh, she recently announced a 25-year environmental plan. Uh-huh. So that was outlining, uh, you know, how we can increase renewables, how we can get rid of plastics, become yeah. more energy The big efficient. story about plastics, mm. that, yeah. Yeah, and the Environmental Audit Committee, mm -hmm. uh, so that story was a while ago, but the Environmental Audit Committee have now said that they're launching an inquiry uh, into that report to exactly, you know, to find out how they're going to achieve these various steps and goals that they've laid out and see whether it's actually feasible. So the Audit Committee, basically, if you don't know, they sit over government and they look at things. Any Audit Committee looks at what policies are and whether they're, they're worth it financially. What, what are they saying about these plans because they're looking at quite a long time frame aren't they yeah 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 uh well it's just really the overall ambition of approach of the whole plans in general uh they're going to see if uh, it can be achieved because uh, obviously it's going to take a lot of money to decarbonize uh it's going to take a lot of change moving away from important stakeholders in oil and gas to new companies that come and of course up. the plastics change as well all the retailers how much will that cost yeah yeah well they're all moving in that direction at the moment anyway um they seem to be phasing up packaging and microbeads and stuff like that but yeah i think they are still questioning you know the time frame of it. and one thing about this aren't they looking at this in lieu of what will happen once we leave the eu yeah yeah because that could make things that, that could throw everything up in the air so uh, you never know what's going to happen with that okay
Next one, which you, which I didn't want you to run, but you, you were desperate to run this story. I was, because uh, I really want someone needs to speak up for these poor monkeys. Oh God, Go on, uh, because Volkswagen's in trouble again, and uh, not they, just Daimler them. and BMW are also in trouble. Yes, uh, because they funded basically tests, uh, I think in 2014, uh, where there was a Volkswagen Beetle running in a lab, uh, and the diesel fumes were going into a cage of monkeys. And then they did tests to see how that affected their health. So, but the monkeys did get to watch cartoons while it happened, so it's not all bad news. So the monkeys were breathing in the fumes. Yep. Okay. And I don't know if they were directly hooked up or whether. No. It was, okay. Uh, right. And, and they, uh, the, the, they were running the cars. Okay. Now you could say this is really bad. Yeah, but they do need to know what the fumes well, do to us. Well, I mean, you know, hey, as a scientist, you know, I know there's a lot of people, and, and I get it, we shouldn't do tests on animals for a lot of things, but how do you prove the sort of dangers from mm. fumes to humans okay. if you didn't... Shut up, George, do kids. <laughs> um, they did actually test them on humans as well. They tested on humans. 25 healthy humans, but I think they got a lesser dose. I think, I think George took a massive dose of that. They didn't Shut cut up. their lungs out after either. So. <laughs> okay, all right, enough of that. But anyway, so they've been in trouble. What have they said? What a Volkswagen thing. Yes. Uh, oops, we won't do it again. <laughs> uh, there is far more detail on the website about the story, including the uh, response they, from Volkswagen. They've, they've said they weren't aware of the extent of the testing and that they okay. don't actually approve it and they've stopped all kind of uh, relationships with that. Line. I just can't wait for <laughs> you to come back pre next week. Thank God, some sense. And finally, what I've always wanted to do get you to get on a plane to get out of here yep uh you can fly me to australia or the us if okay. you fancy doing it green because uh, the first biofuel plan, uh, plane flight um has happened between the us and australia Ooh. and that biofuel interestingly enough used mustard as its fuel source and what was the airline uh qantas yes which stands yeah. for something airlines. queensland and northern territories ah there yeah. we go I knew that, I found out in the story. But now, uh, saying all this, we've done stories for about four years about yeah. biofuels yeah, yeah. and whether they'll be used in little tests. So this is a proper commercial jet. Uh, yeah, and something that people often, yeah, proper commercial jet. I uh, don't think there are any actual passengers on it this time. It was just a test, but it was pretty successful, I think. Uh, so it saved an estimated 18,000 kilograms of carbon emissions just on that journey. And that was between Los Angeles and Melbourne. Uh, and actually, a lot of people have criticised biofuels because they say yep. if you grow biofuels, then you're not growing you're not feeding. wheat. Yep. And it's often in developing countries, so then the people in the village can't eat the food because they're growing the biofuel. Uh, but these mustard seeds actually barely use any water, barely take up any space, and they can be grown on infertile lands. So they kind of defeat the questions that a lot of people okay. ask. Uh, is this just a test, or is this something that they will actually create a service? What's their plans? Uh, uh, well, it, it was the pilot test, I think, but... And I'm sure they'll refine it somehow. But um, Refine it, get it, mate, good one. <laughs> uh, but they will be planning on turning it into a full-on commercial enterprise, I would imagine. Okay. Uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, and I'd suggest they don't. You might as well wait till Pri's back now. Uh, but yeah, stories <laughs> at energylivenews.com. Uh, if you have any good stories for us or you want to give us any input, then that's where to get hold of us. Okay. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. Look after yourself. I will. Be careful. You too. Out there. Uh, right, okay. Uh, right, what I want to go on to now is what I trailed at the top of the show. So, uh, obviously, we've got a lot of events coming up, and they're coming up thick and fast, and I'll give you some diary dates at the end of the of the of this section. But uh, on Monday, I met up with uh, Bus Lansdrop. Now, he is the CEO of Mars One, and we're delighted to say that he will be 
our headline speaker at Energy Life Future. Now, Bus has basically made his money in the renewable energy field, and he has had an obsession, as he said from many years ago, about going to Mars. And Mars One, you can check out the website, is really about permanent human colonization of Mars. So not the thing that Elon Musk is doing, which is the transport system, the rocket that comes back and forth. He's talking about taking people, initially 12 people, who will go off and they will basically colonize Mars and they won't come back. So I caught up with him earlier this week and I asked him, what was the point? What was the relevance of going to Mars and what it means for us? And this is what he said. And we're not going to Mars for Mars. We're going to Mars for a better planet Earth. And I think that showing people that the second best place in the solar system, which is Mars, is a dry desert planet, it will make them more aware about how special our Earth is. It will make them more aware that this is our spaceship and we're not the passengers, we're the crew and we need to, need to take care of our spaceship. So I think that, uh, that Mars can really be a big contribution in that. I think it will inspire people, it will inspire kids to want to be scientists and engineers and astronauts. I think it will inspire adults to start companies, to file new patents, to pursue further education. Because if we can go to Mars, anything is possible, right? Interesting, really interesting. We go to Mars for the Earth. And, you know, uh, it was a fascinating half-hour conversation, and you'll be able to see that uh, later on the website. But if you want to catch up with him, then you will see him if you're an energy end user and you'll get the invites at Energy Live Future, which is at the 7th of June at the Crystal in London. So 7th of June at the Crystal in London, you'll be able to hear from him. He is absolutely fascinating and he'll be talking to you, telling you not just about that sort of stuff about kind of the ethical reasons to go to Mars, but he'll be talking about energy, how he plans to uh, keep the community alive on Mars using t uh, revolutions in solar power, re revolutions in nuclear energy. It's a great, great, great subject. He's a top speaker. So if you are an energy end user, we only have an invitation list of 250. You will be invited. You'll be able to come along. So please, when you get uh, that note from us, respond quickly because those spaces will be limited. Uh, talking about diaries, let me go through what else is happening and starting very quickly uh, with our consultants conference, which is in March and that's taking place at the Etihad. Uh, good news, the phone's ringing, that means we're busy. Uh, obviously, I said 7th of June is for Energy Life Future and then we have Telka, obviously our big uh, brokers awards at the end of June. So plenty going on. Uh, make sure you get involved uh, if you are involved in any side of those things where you're broker, obviously end user, make sure you register for these events because uh, they're coming thick and fast. Right, just before we go, any shout outs, Freddie? Um, no shout outs, no messages. No, I thought there was, I thought Kevin Corcoran had said to me that he was going to, was he lying? Corcoran, you git. To be honest, he hasn't done any work for years anyway, so I wouldn't have thought that he'd actually hit the keyboards. Um, right, and finally, before I go, the Great British Cuppa. Oi, oi. So, uh, we all have a cuppa, particularly in this office, uh, and tea bags. I didn't know this, but George actually knew this. 
because he is really good on chemicals, aren't you, George? Um, so uh, the uh, tea bag, the normal tea bag, has got <laughs> polypropylene in it, bit of plastic. Your mum's not watching, don't worry. And um, these, these basically have their plastics that get into landfill. So Co-op is now teaming up, quiet boys, with Typhoo, and they're going to make a completely biodegradable uh, tea bag, which is great, especially as they sell 367 million of them a year. So there you go, a whole new, I could say something really bad, but I won't say that, a whole new way of drinking tea. How's that? Uh, Jeff got that one, but we'll leave that there. Um, we'll see you next week. Have a really good weekend. All the best. Take care. Bye-bye.